Sometimes I like to imagine the world after us, the strange mammals that will emerge, the abundance of biodiverse plant life taking over our fields and factories and so on. I don't think this world will be better. I maintain that we are the most interesting thing to happen on Earth, and there is real beauty and meaning in our curiosity and compassion, even as we also cause and witness so much suffering. But at any rate, there will be a world after us, after each of us. And that's why there's life insurance. It exists to provide a financial safety net to those who love and count on you. Policy Genius's technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Policy Genius. Because there will be a world without us. And welcome to Dear Hank and John. Or as I prefer to think of it, Dear John and Hank. It's a comedy podcast about death, where two brothers, Hank and John Green, answer your questions, give you dubious advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. Hey, John, how you doing? Uh, you know, oh, yeah, Hank, I bet. I bet. I bet you are. I, I bet yeah, you are all those things. My first book in six years comes out in two weeks, and um, I am freaked out. Uh, it is weird to have nobody have read this book and not be able to change anything. And I am freaked out about going on tour. And I am not, I would say, like, after having six or so months of pretty solid health, I am mm. I'm not all here. How are you? I'm good, John. Do you know, uh, I found out something about myself that I didn't know before this week. I went into the uh, foot doctor. Because I yeah. have, have uh, chronic pain in one of my feet and have since uh -huh. high school when I pushed a young man into a swimming pool and broke my toe on him while doing it. And uh, that's that's not super fun. But uh, so I've, I went in to the doctor. And I was like, hey, I have this problem. Because the last time I went in was like 15 years ago. And they were like, well, there's nothing we can do. So I didn't go back. But it's been 15 years. So maybe there's something they can do now, right, is my sort of thought. And uh, so the guy takes a bunch of x-rays of my foot. And uh, and basically, I come out of it, and he's like, eh, "There's not really anything we can do." But 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 John, I have yes in my right foot the normal number of bones mm -hmm. like everybody else has, but mm -hmm. not in the normal way. Oh, so two of two of my bones that should be two bones are one bone. Oh, you've had a bone. No, um, like, I, thought I was born this way. Two of my bones just were born, like, fused together. My pinky toe, instead of being, like, three bones, it's two bones or something. Mm, so fascinating. That's, that's a thing. And additionally, I've just got, like, a rando bone that's floating in the middle of my foot. Oh, that's not connected to it's anything. It's not connected to anything. It's just, he well. was like, oh, there's one of those. And I was like, is that normal? And he's like, no. He's like, but is it, like, okay? And he's like, yeah, yeah, it's fine. I was like, are you sure? Is that, like hurt me he's like nope just a rando bone so i got a i got a normal number of bones but but accidentally because i have one less than i should have and also one more than i should have 
I mean, there's something metaphorically resonant about that, but I can't figure out exactly what it is because yeah. I'm struggling to actively listen to you, but I want to actively <laughs> listen to you, not primarily so the podcast will be good, but primarily so that I don't miss you saying your phrase of the week. Yeah. Well, I'll give you a, a hint. It was not Rando Bone, uh, okay. but it very well um, could have been. No, I thought it might have been Born This Way, the wonderful Lady Gaga song. And Hank, if ever you feel weird about your footbone situation, I just want to remind you that Lady Gaga wrote a wonderful, wonderful song about uh, being born this way. And so just listen to that if you're ever feeling sad. Can I read you a short poem? Yeah, please. All right, this is uh, by Emily Bronte. It was sent in by listener Lauren. Thanks, Lauren. Uh, and it's about autumn. And it is kind of autumn. Yeah, very um, much is it, here. Yeah. Fall leaves fall. Die flowers away, lengthen night and shorten day. Every leaf speaks bliss to me, fluttering from the autumn tree. I shall smile when wreaths of snow blossom where the rose should grow. I shall sing when night's decay ushers in a drearier day. Mm. Yeah. And, and when I think of the things that I own, that I am most proud of, it's my one and l less extra bone. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm not sure that worked from a meter perspective, but I'm proud of you for thinking of a rhyme. <laughs> uh, speaking of which, uh, Alice has recently gotten into rhyming, but she can't, she doesn't rhyme correctly. And it just drives Henry bonkers. <laughs> um, so the other day she was singing a song and the, the lyrics were, um, I'm walking in the hallway. I won't forget my mommy way. And Henry just said, that's not right. <laughs> Henry, you don't get to decide how poetry works. <laughs> That's... All right, Hank, let's answer some questions from our listeners. This one came from Bria. And, you know, the more I thought about it, the less I knew the answer. Mm. So I'm just going to ask it of you. Dear John and Hank, as you know, people are always growing and changing. A baby is smaller than an old man. Well, <laughs> depends on the baby. But where does all the extra body come from? <laughs> just love that phrasing. There's so much extra body in grown-ups versus babies. Why, mm -hmm. did, why did they change shapes so much? As you grow, does your extra bone just appear? Completely useless at science or biology or whatever this is categorized as, <laughs> Bria. I like how Bria starts the question, as you know, people are always growing and changing, which I am like, <laughs> yes, we learn new things. We find out that we, the way we once were is not the way that we want to be anymore. And then it's just no, like, just where does, where does the extra body come, come from? from? Where are your, how do my bones bone? Yeah. Oh, they all, I mean, we're talking about bones a lot today on this podcast. Of Indeed. all the things I'm proud to own, it is my one extra and one less bone. There, that's better. Mm. <laughs> it's, it's it's on the right track and yet not there. <laughs> I'll keep working on it. Um, uh, your bones are alive. Just to be clear, they're not like uh, they're not like like rocks inside of you. Your bones are constantly replacing themselves and growing and fusing and and like when you break them, they're able to join back together again. Your, your bones uh, are living tissue that uh, is created by the cells of your body. So they are always, uh, as you grow, changing shape. And that is done in the same way that, uh, that all of your body tissues change shape, which is really complicated and weird. 
<laughs> like, uh, so like I can tell you that that there's nothing special about bone, like the way that bones do it, but also the fact that and like all of your body's tissues do it is is in fact very weird, and we don't understand it that well. All right, Hank. While you were talking, I uh, wrote out some iambic. Uh, <laughs> it's not pentameter because it only has four feet, but uh, just just to get it out of my head to solve a problem <laughs> that you created in my mind, I wrote two iambic lines that rhyme own and bone just to shut my brain up. And it is uh-huh. this. Okay. Of all the objects that I own, I'm proudest of my floating bone. <laughs> Okay, good. That's the good. only thing that I'd add to that <laughs> is that I actually find it weirder that after growing for a long time, we then start shrinking. Mm-hmm. Like my doctor recently said to me at my 40th uh, birthday checkup, because of course, how else was I going to spend my 40th birthday? Um, <laughs> that I, I was like, I used to be 6'1". As you, this is an ongoing argument between Hank and me. And my mm-hmm. doctor said, it is perfectly possible that you used to be 6'1", and that you know, the, the shrinking has just begun. Or, or, or... That rhymes, actually. That rhymes. <laughs> All right, I'm going to work on that one. You were just lying the whole time. Uh, because I've always been one and yet an inch taller than you. <laughs> this next question, while John is working on his poem, comes from Jenny, who asks, Dear Hank and John, I'm currently doing my master's thesis in art history. I find my studies very interesting and feel like I have chosen the right path. However, parts of my thesis uh, are dependent on interviews from some very important people in the art world. And those, those words, very important people, are capitalized. I'm not usually scared of talking to people, but when faced with the task of emailing very important people and asking them to meet up with me to help me with stuff, I crumble in a ball of anxiety. Will this ever go away, or will I have to be scared of talking to important people in my field for the rest of my life from the block, Jenny? That's a good name-specific sign-off. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I, yeah, it probably won't ever go away. What do you think, Hank? I think it won't ever go away unless and until you yourself become a very important person. It, that does help. But though it doesn't help that much, whenever I still hang out with people and I'm like, <laughs> Yeah. Good to see you. Uh, it's like anything. Uh, it, it depends on the pond that you're playing in. That is for uh, sure. That Alice is, sure. is certainly completely unimpressed by what I do for a living, uh, so much so <laughs> that she insists that my job is race car driver. And when anybody asks what I do for a living, she says, my dad is a race car driver. And when I tell her <laughs> that I am not a race car driver, she says, but you did do a race car race in Minnesota, which is true. I, I did a race car race with Maggie Steve Otter, a YA author. And um, I say, yes, I was in that one race car race, but that does not mean that my job is race car driver, Alice. And then she says, you got a trophy. And I said, I know I got a trophy because Maggie Steve Otter very kindly let me win one of the races. But uh, I, that still does not mean that my job is race car driver. My job is writing books and making videos with Uncle Hank. And then she says, your job is race car driver. <laughs> it's fascinating. But, John, uh, do you have advice for Jenny? (laughs) Yeah, but it's going to be dubious. I feel like it's kind of okay to be a little bit intimidated when you're sending those emails because you want to make sure that they are good emails. Like, you Mm -hmm. want to reread them and make sure there aren't any obvious typos. And you want to have a certain level of deference going into it. But at the same time, you have to remember that these people who are very important people in their field, even though my wife works in art history, I almost certainly haven't even heard of them. So just remember that, like, you know, 
outside of their pond, they are normal people. And, mm-hmm. and, and so be, you know, I, I think it's always helpful if you just treat someone as if they're human, you express interest in their interest, you make it clear that you understand who they are and what they do, and you make it clear why you want to talk to them because you share an interest in the field. Yeah, and and in my experience of interviewing important people who are important um, either to me because of who I like, just who I am and what I'm really into, or because like like objectively, you know, they are the, the current president of the United States. Like that, it's terrifying, and uh, and the, the 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 thing that goes into it, and the thing that like I had to fight for in those moments was staying present. And not being like, this is so weird, this is so weird, this is so weird. But just being like, I am listening to the words and I'm understanding the words that you are saying. Right, right. It would be very stressful to be the president and to have essentially every interaction you have with someone (laughs) be that person being like, oh my God, it's the president. Oh my God, it's the president. Uh, We have a question from Lucy who writes, Dear John and Hank, for the last few months, one question has bothered me. Can jellyfish suffer? <laughs> that's it. That's the that's the whole question. She signs off the classic pumpkins and penguins. Lucy, can, Hank, can jellyfish suffer? Wait, is suffering necessary? Wait, what? I don't can understand. We, I, I'd like to. Can I ask a backup question? question. Yeah. Is suffering a necessary part of life? Uh, I don't think that it's a necessary for one to suffer. No. No. Is but so like single-celled organisms don't experience suffering. Oh, okay. I'm I've misunderstood your question. I thought you were saying like so given that someone has the capacity to suffer, will they necessarily suffer? I don't think that that is the case. I think that it's very likely that if you have the capacity to suffer that you will spend at least some of the time while you are alive suffering. Who but, wait, wait who is this person who didn't spend any time suffering? I'm not saying that the person exists. I'm just saying it's possible. Mm, it's a hard disagree and, maybe, and, and maybe I rarely not find myself person, hard disagree. Maybe not a person, maybe like a fish or maybe like a a dog or something that's capable of suffering but never did. Mm, uh, stuff like mm, that. Unconvinced. <laughs> I'm going to register my disagreement and allow you to go on. All right. Uh, and then as far as like, is suffering necessary for you to be a living thing? No. Um, it is a useful tool, um, but it, but I think that it's a fairly, fairly complex one. Certainly not uh, com- like, uh, certainly not anywhere close to the most complex uh, system that an animal can have. But it is, I think that suffering is, uh, I think my, my guess is that suffering is outside of the capacity of a jellyfish. Um, my guess is, but, but it's very weird. It's hard. We don't know. And we'll never know. Like we'll, we don't know what it's like to be other organisms. We don't know if a tree can suffer, um, in, in the same way that like, you know, it's kind of like one of the, for me, a condition of life is to, to sort of want things and to take action, to move in the direction and to try and acquire those things. Like that's sort of Mm -hmm. like, it's a good life definition. And, Mm -hmm. uh, and so if you're being prevented from getting to that, there are negative feedbacks that, that, uh, any organism will experience. I feel like suffering is one of those negative feedbacks, but I don't think it's the only one. And I think that it's not one that every organism has, but I don't know because maybe is any negative feedback saying like, I am not able to get to the thing that I want to get to in order to survive or to procreate. 
And that is like, I, like I'm getting that negative feedback saying like, work harder, figure it out, you're gonna die, this is bad. If any feedback like that could be interpreted as suffering. Right. Yeah, I, it is a kind of a question that asks someone to anthropomorphize in, in ways that are problematic. Like right. you have to look at the world from a jellyfish point of view to answer the question about jellyfish. And I, I doubt that jellyfish if they could (laughs) understand what suffering was, would define what they experience as suffering. But if they could understand what suffering was, they wouldn't be jellyfish. That is for sure. Though for for a long time, we didn't think that any organisms except for humans could suffer, which was like just, just, I feel like willful uh, yeah, misunderstanding. It does, it, it, right. It, it it seems like like the kind of thing that you would only believe because it's extremely convenient to believe it. <laughs> uh, speaking yeah. of which, Hank, I have written a uh, iambic pentameter couplet about my height. <laughs> okay. I'm fairly sure I used to be six one, but Doc reports the shrinking has begun. <laughs> I'll be here all week. <laughs> I mean, why don't we just read a short poem from John Green every week? Oh, yeah. These, these are, are such so high quality. Well, oh, I mostly, God. you know what I like most about them, John? What? That they're two lines long and that they end and then I'm like, ah, oh, good. That was good. <laughs> Let's move out of the podcast. <laughs> Listen, I tried to cut the weekly short poem and then people got really mad. Yeah. I mean, it's so, good. It's good. I'm I have sorry. Some, I have some really good advice for Lizzie who asks, Dear Hank and John, Oh, actually, she says, Dear Hank, and also John, just Mm. to the side there. I've been trying my best to keep my Tupperware cabinet tidy, but somehow every time I open the cabinet, the containers end up recklessly strewn throughout. Why do different brands have slightly different sized containers that make them so difficult to stack? Should I invest in some sort of organizational device to buy or larger tubs to put my tubs in? Seeing that you guys have been adulting for much longer than I have and you have kitchens of your own, I assume that you have run into a similar crisis. Any advice would be appreciated. Always covered in Tupperware. Lizzie, Lizzie, here is the thing you need to do. Throw out all of your Tupperware. This is correct. This is the biggest moment in your life realizing you are an adult. Throw it mm, away. Throw that's it an away. Exaggeration, Go but the first part to was Target. True. Buy a $15 36 piece Tupperware set and they will all fit together because they will be the same brand. Do not save, do not save the little containers that your deli meat comes in and say, ah, this is clearly meant to be a reusable container. Don't do it. Go to the deli, get the little plastic bag deli meat. It's better anyway. Don't just use the one kind of Tupperware. Get one inexpensive Tupperware set and use that and then after five years, when it breaks down because it was cheap, get another one. Okay, as usual, Hank is one-third correct. Uh, <laughs> Hank is correct that right now, before you even get to the end of this podcast, you need to throw away all of your mismatched Tupperware. It is a source of tremendous anxiety and just wretchedness. Throw it out. Throw all of it out. Hank was right about that. He's wrong about everything else. What you need to do is you need to call your local Thai restaurant. I don't know if they do delivery. Hopefully they do. If not, you're going to have to go to to the restaurant and pick it up. And you're going to order your favorite dish. 
uh, every night for the next 26 nights in a row. And then <laughs> the amazing thing is that you will have 26 identical medium-sized Tupperware containers with 26 identical medium-sized lids, and all of your problems will be solved forever. Well, you got to make sure that it's the kind of classy place that puts it in a Tupperware and not in one of those foldy Chinese food boxes, because that's, obviously, what, my, that's what my Thai obviously, place does. Obviously, you have to make sure of that in advance. But once you've, so you just, what you do is you just start ordering takeout from various <laughs> restaurants until you get the correct size Tupperware container. And then you go back to that restaurant 26 consecutive nights until you have 26 sets of Tupperware. Boom. Done. I mean... It strikes me that you think you're saving money, but literally a Tupperware set of like a 36 piece cup Tupperware set costs less than two of those meals. Right, but you get 26. Uh, how many? I can't remember how many I said. Let's I say it was 26. 20. <laughs> you get 26 amazing meals in the interim. It's totally worth it. And then you've got an amazing story when people are like, hey, where'd you get all that incredibly well-matched Tupperware? You can say, oh, I just ordered from Swasti Thai restaurant 26 consecutive days. That's, <laughs> That's our local good. Thai restaurant, by the way. It's excellent. It didn't sponsor today's podcast, but I highly recommend it. Yeah, our local Thai restaurant is called Sawadi, which I think is probably the same phrase, but slightly different grammar. I don't know. I don't know, but it's very good. If you ever have a chance to go there, 86th and Ditch, um, really Jeez, solid Thai Everything in Indianapolis is at the same intersection. Almost everything is at the intersection of 86th and Ditch. I had uh, a, a pivotal scene of The Fault in Our Stars occur at the intersection of 86th and Ditch because I was sitting at the intersection of 86th and Ditch at the Starbucks while I was writing it, and I thought, where could they go? And I looked across the street, and I was like, oh, they could go to that gas station. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. My my book takes place in New York City, so I always have a tab that's just the street view of New York City open. Just like walking around where they're walking around. I remember that uh, James Joyce, when he was writing Ulysses, he used to write to friends in Dublin because he oh didn't God. want to go back. He used oh to write to friends in Dublin and say, hey, could you do me a solid and walk this exact route and then write back to me about how long it took, what you saw, and what the road was like. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we got another oh, question. Hank. This one comes from Abigail, who writes, Dear John and Hank, I work two jobs. One is an overnight job three days a week. The other is a daytime job two days a week. Oh, God. Yeah, no. I've been doing this for two weeks now, and the transition between sleeping at night and sleeping during the day is rough. My body is very confused all the time. Any advice? Writing this at 3 a.m. because that's when my lunch hour is Abigail. I mean, Abigail, this is not how the human body is designed to operate. There is no yeah. way to fix this. I mean, there may it may be a sustainable situation for some people. It may be a situation that you just need to be in right now, but that is is going to be rough, I think, moving forward. I had an overnight job for several months working at the Steak and Shake uh, in Winter Park, Florida, and even that m messed a lot, I thought, with, with my brain. It is really hard to work third shift. Now, I have a cousin who's been doing it for like 30 years and... Hold on. Hold on. It's coming. Nope. It's not. Oh, God, I need to sneeze so badly and it didn't happen for me that time. <laughs> oh. 
now I'm just frustrated. I want to go back in time and work harder to get that sneeze out, but now the moment has passed. Anyway, I have a cousin who's been doing it for like 30 years and swears by it and says that it allows him to spend way more time with his kids and do all kinds of stuff. I could not do it. So different people have different uh, needs, I guess, but I, I just don't think that there is a way to make that not suck. I agree, John. I do not have good advice so I'm going to move to the next question, but after, but only after commiserating and saying, keep going, keep, just keep swimming, little fish. Man, you are, you would just be a terrible motivational speaker. <laughs> just, is that, that's something, Finding Nemo? Just, yep. Dear Hank and John, this is from Maria. I have a serious question about hangers. What's the right way to hang a hanger with the hanger hook facing the wall or the hanger hook facing you? I just painted my mom's closet and we are in the process of refilling it with her clothes and she wants to hang all the hangers with the hook facing the wall and I believe you should hook facing you. Any answer is appreciated. Mulgare hirsum, Maria. Is that also a joke from Avatar yeah. The Last Airbender? One, one, or is one that has Latin? to assume that that's an Avatar The Last Airbender thing uh, because at this point... What we else? can't risk it not being. We got. I, I have never received so many letters as I did about our failure to understand the Avatar: The Last Airbender joke. Um, uh, Maria, John, wait, got, wait, stop, wait, stop. I googled okay. it. It's uh, it's uh, Mulgari Hirsum. Uh, to milk a male goat. Uh, okay. Oh. What? Uh, oh, it's uh, God. it's like it's a phrase to like attempt an impossible thing. Oh. Uh... I or, had gone in a different direction. Or a different direction. Than uh, Maria, <laughs> let's get back to your question immediately. Um, Maria, here's here's the deal. And I feel bad about this because you're obviously a nice person. Um, <laughs> the yeah. hook faces the wall. Oh, yeah. No, you're super wrong about this, Maria. This is yeah. terrible. Like, think about it. If you have your, like disco pants and you want to party down in your party pants and they're like and it's time to go party you don't want to be like flipping them out and pushing them toward the wall and then bringing them to you so you can go to your disco party and have your disco jams correct you need to you need pants now no yeah so the whole idea behind getting your disco pants as quickly as possible is just lift and pull the yeah. way that you're proposing it involves lifting pushing going down and then pulling that's four motions by the time that you're done with that the party is probably over it's terrible yeah i mean this is actually similar to the, the long-standing argument it's one of the longest pages on wikipedia about whether you should put toilet paper uh rolls so that uh they face out or mm -hmm. like you have to come from underneath and to me it's so obvious that it's not worth debating but then also, you know, we only have this one brief, precious flicker of consciousness. And I am glad that some people are choosing to spend it with me <laughs> thinking about this stuff that doesn't matter, but that I can't stop thinking about anyway. I mean, it's, it's weird to me that either of these things could at all be debatable. The only reason to hang your toilet paper not facing so that it's easiest to get to is if you have a cat that does the thing where it spins it down. Because if you do it the other way, the cat can't spin the whole toilet paper out. Or if only you reason. live with enemies and you want to make their lives harder. Like, I mean, yes. that's, that's the argument that I've seen for it that actually makes some sense. If you're trying 
to like push somebody out of your house. You're just trying to make something little, a tiny little, ways to communicate worse. to your roommate that this relationship has come to an end. Um, that that kind of thing really really works. Like putting the hangers in backwards, the toilet paper in backwards. I think that's like the universal sign for it's time to leave, Phil. <laughs> if your roommates consistently hang your toilet paper incorrectly, then you maybe need to find a new living situation. All right. This uh, next question comes from Maddie, who writes, "Dear John and Hank, why is there why is there a fruit called a grapefruit when there's already a fruit called a grape?" Signing yeah. off, Maddie. This is an excellent question because it isn't a grapefruit a grape because it is a grapefruit. Ah, yes. Well, it isn't a grapefruit because it looks and tastes absolutely nothing like a grapefruit. Yeah. Did, Do you yeah. know the etymology of the word grapefruit? No. In fact, I was about to look it up. It comes from the words grape and the word fruit. This is not a shock. Do you want to know a few interesting facts about grapefruits? <laughs> I want to know more about the freaking etymology of grapefruit. Okay, they okay because grapefruits <laughs> grow in clusters, and people thought the clusters that grapefruits grow in look kinds of kind of like gigantic they clusters don't of gigantic grow grapes in clusters. Have you seen? Well, it's just like an orange tree. It's the same as an orange tree. Hank? Yep. I am telling you what Wikipedia, which is never <laughs> wrong, says. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, wait. Uh, uh, okay. some, pe so, some other people think that it might be because um, yes. it the Latin name is citrus grandis, meaning great citrus or great fruit. And then people just mispronounced it. That is, I wouldn't be shocked. If there was some kind of like uh, both of those things had an effect on this. Okay. Can I tell you some interesting facts about grapefruits? Mm -hmm. Well, that's too bad because I've done quite a lot of research and there are no interesting facts about grapefruits. Please send us to hankandjohn at gmail.com your interesting grapefruit facts. We can share them next week because we are incapable of finding anything at all even remotely interesting about this fruit. I don't think anybody's going to find anything, but <laughs> Godspeed, my friends. This question comes from The Bookleman. Dear John and Hank, oops, it's Dear Hank and John. I know that successful football and soccer teams must replace their players with better ones to improve, but if over time all the players have been replaced in AFC Wimbledon, will it still be the AFC Wimbledon team? If it's not about the players, but the location, why do teams compete? If you and I were just to hire chess players to play against each other in chess and my player won, it wouldn't prove anything about my chess skills. How is that different with sports teams? Best wishes from the ship of Theseus, the Bookleman in Cleveland. I mean, this is a great question, and it gets to the heart of the problem with franchises, which is that ultimately a sports franchise is owned by usually by one single rich person or one single rich family. And if they want to move the team, they can. And the definition of the team is the thing owned by that rich family. Um, yeah, interesting. And... and the whole ship, for those who aren't familiar with the ship of Theseus, the, the basic idea is this. A ship uh, takes off from port and uh, the the mast breaks, so they replace the mast with a different uh, piece of wood. And then uh, all the other parts of the ship slowly break over a long journey and they replace all the other uh, parts. And then by the time it gets back to port, uh, it is an entirely different ship. Uh, but at the same time, it is the same ship because... Mm. Um, 
and and this question is applied to a lot of problems, especially problems with self. You know, like if um, you start out as one person as any, and you end up as a different person, then are you still the same person? Uh, but also football teams, I guess. So I, I think the answer in AFC Wimbledon's case is actually relatively straightforward, which is that the football club is the community that is based around it, which is why when mm-hmm. the uh, English FA decided to move Wimbledon FC to Milton Keynes, it did not uh, mean that Milton Keynes suddenly um, had uh, Wimbledon. And, and then Wimbledon restarted as AFC Wimbledon. And even though they went from the third tier to the ninth tier overnight, they were still the same football club. They still had the same history. Um, they were still the same community. They still had the same supporters. And that's a lot of what I find so interesting about the AFC Wimbledon story is that at, at a time when the social order said to these people, you don't have a football club anymore, they responded, no, we still have the same football club we always have. And then by the force of their will and their determination as a community, eventually the authorities, the social order itself was forced to be like, our bad, you were right, you do still have the same football team. And I find that very, very beautiful. Um, So I think like in the end, a good organization, any good community uh, is defined by the people who are inside of it and they change over time. And that changes the community over time, but hopefully there is some level of, of continuity that allows the ship of Theseus to still be the same ship when it gets back to port. Well, which gets to the, the very thing that, that like sort of solves the ship of Theseus riddle, which is that it's not about the ship, it's about our imagining of things. Right. And uh, and it is like that is really the interesting thing about the AFC Wimbledon story is that like it wasn't about like the team. It's about the people who enjoy it and who make up the community. And right. I feel that same way about like this podcast and about all of the stuff that we make on the Internet, that it's like like it is the defined by the people who appreciate the thing. And I- imagining that and understanding that makes it a much more rich thing to be doing. Right, exactly. Yeah. I mean, you've got to understand when you're part of a community, but especially when you're leading uh, a community like that, that um, so much does really depend on the way we imagine the world. Like that's uh, the story that my new book gets its title from, The Turtles All the Way Down story, is ultimately a story about understanding that the world is in part the stories we tell about it. Which leads us to our sponsor this week, which is Turtles All the Way Down. Turtles All the Way Down, (laughs) a book by John Green coming to a bookstore near you, available for pre-order in lots of different places, but only signed if you go and figure out which ones are going to be signed if you go to probablysignedturtles.com. And just to emphasize one thing, the book comes out on October 10th, and it will be available wherever books are sold. And also some places where you might not traditionally look for books, like Costco. Um, <laughs> Ooh. Uh, and today's podcast is also, of course, brought to you by The Suffering of Jellyfish. The Suffering of Jellyfish Complicated. This podcast is also brought to you by the inconsistent object that is yourself. You are being constantly replaced and your bones that once were your bones aren't actually your bones. They're new bones. You. And lastly, this podcast is brought to you by Grapefruit. Originally a grapefruit, now just a grapefruit. (laughs) 
This episode of Dear Hang John is brought to you by Thrive Market. Thrive Market is there to help you maintain the kinds of habits that you want to have. For me, I need to have the right kind of food in the house or I will eat whatever. Oreo recently sent me some free fancy Oreos. They were weird. I ate all of them. I ate all of them in a week and it was a problem. I can't do that. I need to have healthy, good stuff in the house and Thrive Market can help you have healthy habits. It's a great go-to for all your grocery and household essentials and the convenience of getting everything online and then like just quickly shipped to the doorstep. It's a huge time saver. Thrive Market carries brands with great ingredients and sourcing methods. They got Amy's, Banza, Burt's Bees, Chobani, Honest Kids, Kind, Mike's Hot Honey, Oatly, Olipop, Poppy, Salt. I've never heard of salt, but it's got two A's in it. So it has to be good. And as a Thrive Market member, you can save money on every single grocery order. On average, you can save over 30% every time. And they also have a deals page that changes every day. When you join Thrive Market, you are also helping a family in need with their one-for-one membership matching program. You join, they give. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order, plus a $60 free gift. I enjoyed my $60 free gift. I was surprised by it, and it was the kind of thing I wouldn't have bought. And then now I'm like on the ghee train. They gave me free ghee. And I was like, I don't know what ghee is. But then I was like, oh, this is great. It's like butter, but it's different and more spreadable. <laughs> Go to thrivemarket.com slash dearhank for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash dearhank, thrivemarket.com slash dearhank. It used to be great. Now that it's is just actually a, a pretty good, that is the yeah. only interesting grapefruit fact, is that it possibly used to originally be known as the grapefruit. <laughs> it's a big fruit. Like how many, how many fruits are like, well, fruits by size, fruits by size. What are the biggest fruits, John? Watermelon has to be the biggest fruit, right? Mm, I mean, I'm not going to pretend to be an expert in this field. I, I, I don't even really have a guess. I bet pumpkin is the biggest fruit. Nope. Nope. Weighing 268 pounds. Well, nope, nope, nope. That's wrong. That's wrong. It's wrong. John, John, help save me. What's your order? The, what's your phrase of the week? Go. Oh right, well, yeah, I haven't, I haven't used it yet. Oh, that is amazing. An amazing hint, John. I, I'm still gonna be fine. I'm still gonna win. <laughs> I'm not even worried. Have you used yours? Uh, oh, I'm not gonna, not gonna tell you. Of course you're not. Oh no, absolutely not. Um. Hank, before we get to uh, some more questions from our listeners, I really have to read this vitally important response. Uh, some of you may remember that in a past episode of the pod, somebody uh, wrote in to say that they had been harboring a secret snake in their home and that they wanted to take this secret snake to college, but they couldn't figure out uh, how to get the snake to college because their parents were going with them on the drive. Uh, so Devin and Draco wrote back in to say, Dear John and Hank, back in episode 87, you answered my question about owning a secret snake. As of 7 p.m. Friday, September 22nd, 2017, one year and nine days after I got him, Draco is no longer secret. My oh, dad I was worried about how that, like, I was worried about the, what the plot twist there was going to be. <laughs> I know, I, I too thought he might die, but no, my dad discovered him while looking for our cat. <laughs> <laughs> Who was in the basement. Okay, good. I'm glad that the cat wasn't in Draco. While he is not thrilled that there has been a secret snake in the house for one year and nine days. Wait, wait, wait. You didn't take the snake to college? You just left the snake at home? 
This I, I, I need actually, more information. You're right. I have I have more questions than answers. Did he leave the snake at home to fend for himself? Which <laughs> yeah. Is, or did he, in the end, just decide to take a semester off from college to delay the inevitable? <laughs> While he is not, so we don't know the answer to that question, but we do know this. While he is not thrilled that there is a snake in the house, I played my dad the segment from your podcast and he found it hilarious and Draco is allowed to stay, although I have been warned that there will be a tarantula in my bed if he gets loose. As John said in his answer, everything turned out better than expected. Snakes and secrets, but no longer secret snakes, Devin and Draco. John, the world's largest pumpkin, which is the largest fruit ever recorded, was 1,689 pounds, also 766 kilograms, for those of you who don't know what pounds are. All right. Well, there you go. Um, A question that I've never wanted the answer to and now have the answer to. Well, that's too bad because my entire video this week is going to be about world's largest fruits. Oh my god, I don't even think you're kidding. You're desperate for a video topic. Uh, let me make a suggestion. Uh, here's a video topic. My brother's first book in six years comes out in ten days. Everyone buy it at bookstores everywhere. All right, this we got another question, Hank. This one comes from Anna, who writes, Dear John and Hank, when you see someone doing something on Snapchat, is it weird to talk about it when you next see them in real life? I watch my friend's Snapchats, and sometimes I feel like I should reply, but then it feels awkward when I do. I also sometimes want to bring up their last snap in conversation, but always chicken out at the last second. So my question is, is it socially acceptable to talk about social media in real life or reply to something they posted hours ago? Also, another question, why is chicken out a phrase for not doing something or being a wimp? I mean, what did chickens ever do? We eat tons of them every year so so shouldn't we just lay off any advice would be appreciated (laughs) that's a great point anna i mean haven't we done enough to chicken kind just by eating them by the billions why do we also have to besmirch their good name oh well yeah i'm totally on board with not no longer besmirching a chicken um (laughs) to cease this the the besmirchment of chickens that's my new t-shirt (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Now, um, secondly, I am so glad that you came to two p- men who are in their late 30s, early 40s to discuss with you how to properly socially interact with people who you f- who you are friends with and follow on social media Snapchats because yeah. we are the experts on how to navigate the awkward world of knowing what your friends are doing all of the time, yeah. but not because you talked about it. That is correct. You could not have picked two better people for this topic. And as an expert, i.e. someone who last sent a Snapchat in 2016, <laughs> I feel extremely prepared to tell you Uh, that it is fine to talk in real life about someone's most recent snaps as long as you aren't sort of like overbearing about it. Like, it'd be great if you said, like, I thought that was really funny, the caption and or emoji and or handmade drawing that you did, but it's not cool if you talk about it for like 14 minutes and you detail all of the things that you loved about the snap and how you've saved it and now it's your like... Uh, screensaver yeah. on your phone and everything. Yeah, and I also think that like the the thing that I the my experience of Snapchat and Instagram stories is often yeah. like, oh, look at all of the fun that my friends are having. Yeah, and so there is certain amount of uh, like navigating the I like oh that was really funny versus why wasn't I invited to that thing that you did because. Right. Not everybody can be invited to everything all the time. And now we all know every time we're missing out on something, which is not how it was a few years ago. 
You didn't know when your friends hung out and you weren't there. And that was a thing that happened, but you didn't have to know about it all the time. Hank, uh, Hank, can I ask you something? Do you ever feel like, you know that Simpsons reference uh, where Abe Simpson, Homer's father, is holding a newspaper with the headline, Old Man Yells at Cloud? Yeah, yeah, he's on the newspaper. Yeah, Old Man Yells at Cloud. Oh, that's what I, it is, right. I, I do, but do you ever I, feel yes. like an old man yelling at a cloud? Uh, yeah, yeah. I've in a lot of different circumstances. Sometimes I feel like I'm yelling at a cloud, and it's like uh, it's like uh, late stage capitalism that I'm yelling right. at. And sometimes I feel like I'm yelling at a cloud, and it's like, boy, Hank just does not know what this thing is, and he's kind of angry at something he does not understand. These young people these days, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I remember being a kid and just feeling like like old people were completely, deeply profoundly out of touch about what was interesting like even in my 20s i remember just thinking like oh my god how does someone let themselves get so far removed from what is interesting about right now Mm -hmm. yeah and now i'm like i am so uninterested (laughs) in what is interesting right now yeah no that's how i feel too it's freaking me out yeah there's a lot of stuff to be interested in and i think that it's important to uh to 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 be okay with both yourself and with other people for being interested yeah. in what they're interested in. Yeah. And that's going to mean that I'm not very good at Instagram stories. Well, I'm actually truly going to give Instagram stories the old college try when we go on tour. Um, because <laughs> I think idea. like that, that to me is what is when I can use it to make sense. Have it make sense for me is yeah, when, yeah. We're like out and doing something because usually my life is so boring and repetitive, but I really like its repetition. But I don't think that it would make for an interesting Instagram story for me to be like, once again, at 320, I did pick up my children from school. (laughs) For the, you know, for the like 19th consecutive weekday, I spent the hours between 320 and 340 in the car with the kids. I'd be really, maybe there's like a certain set of people who just want that very steady, rhythmic, therapeutic Instagram story where it's just the same thing every weekday. Right. Yeah. I mean, like there is, there is benefit to that, right? Like, I mean, I don't know. I like, uh, I like the classical music station in Indianapolis, partly because they play the same like eight pieces of classical music over and over (laughs) and over again. (laughs) All right, Hank, it's time to get to the news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon. What's the news from Mars this week? Oh, John, remember last week when we were talking about uh, how there was that group of people in Hawaii who had gone out and they'd like hung out for for months um, in Hawaii and and it, it went pretty well and nobody got super angry well it turned out one of them killed another one of them not no actually way. what happened no not what happened oh oh wow you had me for a second now i'm back to being bored <laughs> <laughs> um no no uh it, though one of them did get interviewed and he said uh you know there's rough moments the, the hardest part they said was uh the fact that they could not just get on the internet like a normal and if they were solving a problem and needed information, it would take days when it should have taken minutes because you right. had to wait for so long for responses from people or right. from Google. And um, so that that is a, definitely a problem to solve. But he said that there was not a single insult, uh, not a single personal insult hurled through the entire, uh, I don't know if it was six or eight month long experience. But that's not my news. The news is that the UAE, the United Arab Emirates, is 
apparently attempting to build a 100 million pound Martian city, that's the currency unit, not the weight, in the Emirati Desert to simulate life on the Red Planet. Whoa. Uh, yeah, 1.9 million square feet, largest space simulation city ever built, largest largest biodome dome ever. A uh, team of researchers will live in the city for a year, carry out experiments to understand life on Mars, and it will have a museum open to the public whose walls will be 3D printed from the sand. And it is unclear when the building uh, when building will begin on the project or its exact location. So who knows if it's actually going to be a thing that will exist with this Mars Science City. They've got some cool 3D renders of it. It looks pretty. And uh, they have so much money in the UAE, they can do these weird things. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's the only Mars I'll ever visit. I'm just going to tell you that right now. That's going to be my number one all-time favorite Mars that I visit in my lifetime is the Mars right here on Earth. Mm-hmm. I mean, it looks pretty cool. Hank, uh, can you hear that, that, that in the background? Mm, it's a rumbling. It's a rumbling noise I hear. No, no. It's the sad string quartet music. Oh, oh yes. It's sad. It's like, a, it's, like a, it's like an ambulance riding away. No, not exactly. It's sadder than that. It's it's the only thing sadder than that. It's the sound of having lost a home game against Milton Keynes. Oh, no. Two nil. Oh, uh, there were many wonderful moments, almost all of them in the stands, um, with uh, Wimbledon fans singing, uh, Who were you? Who were you? Who were you when you were us? My all-time favorite uh uh, chant in any in any sport, uh, but the moments on the pitch were not great. I watched the whole game live on the AFC Wimbledon app. Um, there's some issues with the live streaming, but it is much better than no live streaming. And uh, it was really, really, really frustrating. I was mm. yelling at my phone, which I try very hard never to do. I really, it was really frustrating, and I feel terrible for all of the Wimbledon fans out there because. That's the one game that you really want to win in a season, and yeah. uh, it was difficult. And also, Wimbledon did not score, and Wimbledon spent essentially the entire game in the attacking half of the field, and the only two times that Milton Keynes had anything like an attack, they scored. Uh, and then mm. uh, Milton, and then Wimbledon went on to lose to Southend United. On September 26th, which is very bad and was a game that we really should have won. And now we find ourselves in a what can only at this point, I think it, it is fair to describe the situation as perilous. There are 46 games in the season. We're only through 10 of them. So it is not yet a period for panic. However, Wimbledon in 10 games have scored five goals. That is not great. Uh, and they are only one spot away from the relegation zone and only kept out of the relegation zone by goal difference. So it has not been a bright beginning to the year. I do know, however, what your phrase of the week was. Well, I mean, it's not fair because <laughs> in, a, in a bit that, that Hank, I got like halfway through a bit and Hank was like, we have to cut that because you already did it. And then I redid string quartet. And of course he's going to know. So yes, it was string quartet. <laughs> I, I lost this week and I'm mad about it. Was your phrase born this way? No, no, no. Oh. You thought that I was just talking about disco pants for no reason? Oh God, disco pants. 
Oh, it just it seems was, so. It, was actually, it seems so perfectly specific. God, how could I not have noticed that? All of the listeners are going to be flooding my Twitter with yeah. comments about how I clearly wasn't paying attention. To be fair, I'm not really paying attention. But regardless, <laughs> Hank, thank you for potting yeah. with me. We now have to go over to our Patreon, Patreon.com/slash Dear Hank and John, to record this week in Ryan. Um, which has become a podcast that is about everything except for people named Ryan. Uh, <laughs> but I, I, I do appreciate you uh, being here, Hank, and, uh, and enlivening uh, my days and giving me something to think about other than uh, the Turtles All the Way Down situation. Well, I don't look forward to these days when this will happen to me, but I also really do, and I'm really excited for your book to come out, and uh, and I hope that there's excitement among your anxiety because it's very good and I can't wait for people to read it. Oh, thanks, man. I appreciate it. This podcast is produced by Rosie Alves Rojas and Sheridan Gibson. Our editor is Nicholas Jenkins. Victoria Bongiorno is our head of community and communications. Our music is by the brilliant Gunnarola. You can email us at hankandjohn at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at Hank Green or at John Green. Thank you again for listening. And as they say in our hometown, don't, don't forget, forget to be awesome. awesome.